Now it's time for the Disney View podcast. Please move across your car to make room for everyone. Our podcast will begin momentarily. Join Dave as he makes his Grand Circle tour around the Walt Disney World Resort. Dave is a dreamer and an engineer who enjoys the magic and wonder of it all, but understands Disney's place in history and respects the legacy that's been left. Come along and hear Dave's thoughts about Walt Disney World and see it through Dave's eyes. Please stand clear of the podcaster. Por favor, mantenganse alejado del David. And now, here's your host. Hey everyone, it's Dave. Welcome to another edition of Dave's Disney View Podcast. Well, I know it's been a little bit of time since my last podcast, had a lot of things going on, a little bit of life getting in the way, so my apologies, I wanted to get another podcast out there, I like to have them out there on a more regular basis, and I didn't have one lined up in the queue, so didn't have one that I could just uh, play for you. So I hope you had a chance to go back and listen to some of the archives. That's always kind of fun, I enjoy that sometimes myself, just kind of going backward and listening to some of the things that I've said before, kind of gives me a little consensus on some of the things I'd like to say in the future. Anyway... On today's podcast, I want to talk about Disney news and some of the things that are going on. There's a lot of interesting little news nuggets that are out there, and I just kind of wanted to run through those and some of the things that caught my attention over the last couple of weeks. I'm going to start off with something that got a little bit of social media traction, and it was a story about a boy who had bought a toy at Disney and tried to take it on a plane with him heading home, and TSA confiscated it. Now, what it was was a grabber toy, you know, one of these things where you squeeze the handle and it opens up a little arm at the end, a little aperture at the end, and you can pick things up. The problem with this particular toy was it looked a little bit like a gun. Because of the way the handle was configured and the fact that it had a long piece that uh, that came out, on the x-ray, I'm sure that it actually looked more like a gun, and that's why they confiscated it. Now, having been a cast member in the past, one of the things I remember about selling merchandise was that we always warn people. When you buy something, make sure that you check this in your luggage. Now, at the time, TSA wasn't quite what it is today, but no matter what it was, whether it was a gun or it looked like a gun or it was a something else, we always told people, hey, remember to put this in your luggage when you, when you go through the airport so you don't get questioned about it. That was particularly true of the Pirates of the Caribbean guns, but we'd also say that about other things that might look something like a gun. So, in many ways, shame on the parents for putting the boy through this. I mean, it's, it's sad that it happened, and you can blame TSA all you want, but the reality is the parents are the ones that really should be blamed here. No offense to the parents, but they should have known better than to put something in their luggage that looked something like a gun. And then to complain about TSA doing their job? I'm sorry, I got a problem with that. This was about somebody making a mistake. And I, I remember going through as a cast member and telling people all the time, we used to do that. We'd say, hey, make sure you check this in your luggage. You don't want to get stopped in the airport security. And I'm sure that cast members still do that today because, you know, they're looking out for the best interests of people and they're trying to remind them about things. Most of the uh, things that you'll see, like the pirates' guns and so forth, they actually say on them, please check this in your luggage. So it's surprising to me that parents didn't think that through and that got a little bit of traction. It is kind of sad and I feel bad for the boy and I actually feel bad for the parents too. I don't mean to throw them under the bus or anything. It's just an observation that as parents, we all need to be aware of what we're doing. So we heard recently that Captain EO is going to finally close once and for all over at uh, the Epcot uh, Imagination Pavilion. And it's kind of sad. You know, I'm a little bit ambivalent about this. It's kind of a weird feeling I have because on the one hand, I loved Captain EO. When it first opened, it was great. I saw it so many times during its initial run. 
And then it was closed for a long period of time, and they opened it again after Michael Jackson's death. And it's been open now for three or four years, something like that. And I've seen it many times in that period of time as well. It loses its luster. It's not quite as great as it was when it first came out in the 1980s, but it's still pretty darn good. And it's still very entertaining. And I'm kind of sad to see it go, but on the other hand, it's time to retire it and move on to something else. So they're going to replace it with a Pixar short film collection, which I think should be a lot of fun. There's some new Pixar animations they're going to weave together into a little story uh, that they're going to be showing in that place. And I think that's kind of cool and a nice little addition, and I think that's that's addition that I think is really valuable. I think that the pavilion could use a little bit of life to it and kind of more twisting it toward the Pixar sort of space or theming might be the right thing to do. Now, my fear is that Epcot is becoming more and more themed toward Disney properties and not so much about the theory of imagination and the sort of the the thought process and the mind and doing all the things that they had where it was really about your innovation and thinking about things differently and really where future world was something that was unique and different and you really had this fascination this capturing capturing your imagination to a large degree and we're kind of losing that and as you'll hear me talk about throughout this podcast I think there's some interesting things that have happened over the years at Walt Disney World where they're starting to be more about the experience and less about the attraction, kind of going with the way the mindset has changed of the viewing audience. We as guests, we as consumers, go in and we expect something different. We expect more. Every time we go, we expect something more. Yeah, yeah, you have classic attractions and you have the old Walt Disney Imagineering sort of experience there, but that's not what it's about. It's about upping the ante and making the experience greater. It's about adding on these extra benefits, these extra perks, the, you know, the dining plans and the dessert parties and the extra fireworks and the extra this and the extra that. It's about making an experience that's a unique experience that's more tailored to each guest. And then in the meantime, while you go along through certain parts of the parks, it ups the ante. So it's much more than just a collection of attractions that are all themed in a land. Now that whole area is themed together to kind of match up with something. I think what happened was, somewhere along the way, as we became more of an instantly gratified sort of society, where we have these phones and these devices and we're always connected, we have this way of kind of keeping in touch with things. You think about the 1950s, 60s, 70s, and into the 1980s, where you would visit Disney World and you didn't have any way of kind of recording your experience. Sure, you could take pictures. Maybe you had one of those big bulky video cameras that you could shoot some video on. Maybe you took an 8mm projector with you or an audio recorder and you captured some little piece of your experience. But you didn't capture the whole experience. Now you've got iPhones and all these other phones that can go around and actually stream the experience in real time. You can go to YouTube and you can watch all the videos of all the attractions. It's a different experience than we ever had in the early days of Disney. So Disney has to up the ante because it used to be that you would go, you would experience it, you would leave, you would tell your friends, but you couldn't experience it with them. They'd go, they'd come back, they'd talk to you about it. Now they come back and they're showing you a YouTube video. You can experience it year-round. You can listen to streaming Disney music all the time. Before, you had to go and you had to buy a record. And the record would have in it several tracks from several different attractions, but didn't have the whole attraction audio. It didn't really get into the details of it. It was just fun to listen to. So things have changed. You know, that that sense of being there, they have to up the ante because I can watch the videos anytime. Why would I want to go there? What's in it for me? 
So the vacation club properties, because more people are buying into the experience, you have to give them something a little bit more. So when you look around and you realize that Universal Studios changed the momentum a little bit when they created the Harry Potter Land, a fully themed immersive Harry Potter experience based on a series of books and movies, it really did change the way things work. And so now Disney has to up their ante to keep up with that. So that's why so many things are changing, and that's why so many things are happening. So on that note, uh, I'd like to point out to you that there's a the new River of Light uh, show that they're going to be putting on at the Animal Kingdom should be debuting shortly. Now, this is a an, a an interactive sort of light show on the river that's right around the Tree of Life in the Animal Kingdom. It's kind of a unique idea and a unique concept. They've laid out some concept art. I haven't seen enough about it yet to really understand what it is. But think sort of phantasmic in a way, where it's sort of a light show and things that are happening on the water. You'll have familiar Disney characters. You'll have some other things happening. But it'll bring together sort of a festival type of thing where you have an atmosphere that's kind of entertaining. Now, something I noticed is that they introduced the idea of having a restaurant that's right there on the water that's going to be overlooking where the River of Light is going to be going by. That is no coincidence. Disney is going to be selling experiences so that you can watch the River of Light go by as you have a dining plan. Similar to what they do with Fantasmic or some of the things they do at Epcot for viewing the illuminations, where you can go and you can have a dining package and then enjoy the show with a reserved seat. Clearly, that's where this is all going. It's, again, about that immersive experience. It's about making it something more. It's about making it interesting in some way. I find that to be really interesting because Disney is sort of changing the way they're looking at the world. It always had a certain way about it, and now it's always about adding one more experience. Good and bad, I guess, goes with that. Times change, things happen, but that's the way it goes. And it's kind of unfortunate in its own way, but it's kind of great in its own way, too. I think it's just kind of neat the way they bring it all together. <clears throat> now, turning over to the Magic Kingdom for just a moment, every year in the Magic Kingdom, they do the Mickey's Very Merry Christmas Parade. And on Christmas Day, they air it on ABC, and they do it cross-country because they have some of Disneyland built in there as well. It used to be focused on Disney World, then they wanted to make it more nationwide and give it a little more national exposure, so they made it Disneyland and Disney World. Hey, and that's great. For some period of time, it was that the actual event would be streamed live, that they actually did the show live from the parks on Christmas morning. And they would actually show the crowd and the parade and everything on, on Christmas morning just as exactly, just exactly as it was happening. But over time, they realized that sometimes the weather doesn't cooperate. Sometimes the musical guests are late. Sometimes the hosts flub a line. So what they decided to do was to film most of it in advance. They have some segments they do live, but much of it is filmed in advance, and that way they always get perfect weather, always get the perfect sound, and everything works out. And this year is no exception. They actually film it over the course of typically three days. Uh, and usually it's in mid-November that they start to do the filming. They'll run it into December a little bit. And they do the filming on those days, so they get great weather. And if they need to go back and make any other edits, they can do that. So it works out really well. Well, this year they kind of collapsed it down. They were doing a lot of the segments on one particular day. And they had set it all up, and the parade was supposed to start at about 10 o'clock in the morning, and they run the parade through the Magic Kingdom. Now, you may notice, this is just a little aside here, you may notice that the parade runs the other direction. On typical Disney Day parades, it leaves from Main Street, and where the uh, horse trolley is there at the end of Main Street, closer to where the entrance is, goes up towards the castle, makes the left into Frontierland, and then goes off 
stage to the uh, behind the Frontierland area. When they do the the parades that are aired on TV, they go the other direction. And the reason for that is because they want to have the castle in the background when you look up Main Street. Rather than looking up Main Street and looking at the train station when the parade is coming along, they want the castle in the background. So they run it the other direction. Now they do this anytime they're filming. So on certain days, if you see it running the other direction, typically it's because they're filming it for some reason. Now on the days that they're doing the Christmas parade for the airing of the show, they actually run it the other direction. Anyway, that's the aside. The story is that on this particular day, when they were filming the parade, they were supposed to start it at 10 o'clock in the morning. Well, it didn't start at 10 o'clock in the morning. It was ready at 10 o'clock in the morning, but it didn't start. Then at 11 o'clock in the morning, it still hadn't started. Well, what happened was that singer Ariana Grande was actually three hours late to get to the show to be in the production. She is one of the singers you're going to see on Christmas morning, riding along on a float and singing Christmas songs. Unfortunately, she was delayed for three hours. They didn't actually run the parade until one o'clock. What you'll also notice is if you look carefully at the shadowing and the way the light hits the uh, stage, that it's late afternoon instead of early morning when they're actually filming this. So you'll notice a little bit of a distinction there because the the morning parade, they'll have different angles and so forth that show you as it looks like the parade is going on in the morning when it's live. And then they'll have uh, shots of Ariana Grande singing at one o'clock in the afternoon. Anyway, so she was late. And uh, they had to keep the guests happy because the guests were there. They're, everybody knows that they're filming for the Christmas Day Parade. They tell you that when you go in the park, that they're filming for the Christmas Day Parade. Some people go there specifically to be in the Christmas Day Parade and actually see the one that's going to air. Well, they were all standing around waiting for the parade to start for those three hours. And the uh, Disney management decided to have some fun. And they invited guests on stage to do some singing and dancing, do a little act, whatever they'd like, and just have sort of a open mic night, basically. And some of the things were really okay, and some of them were kind of fun. And there was one singer who got up there and uh, had a great moment and got a little bit of uh, media acclaim there because he had a great time just singing. And it was kind of fun. It was just kind of one of those entertaining moments when you watch it and you go, oh, okay, that's all right. That worked out pretty well. Given the, the fact that the people had to wait for three hours for the parade to actually start, it all worked out okay.
and uh, just kind of fun. It's one of those quirky one-off things that just happens. But you know, sometimes celebrity gets celebrities get waylaid for whatever reason, and sometimes it's just because they overslept. I don't know what the case is with her, but uh, it's just one of those things where she was late and everybody had to wait for her. All right. Now let's turn over to the Hollywood Studios. Now there's still no name for the Hollywood Studios. It is still called Disney's Hollywood Studios for the foreseeable future. Nothing's changed there. But we're starting to see more changes and more additions that kind of go along with the idea of Star Wars and Star Wars themed things. The uh, Hangar Bay opened up uh, earlier this week, and so now Hangar Bay is open where the animation studio used to be. Walk up the uh, main street in Hollywood Studios and take the right into the what used to be the animation courtyard. Go through the uh, the arch there, and you'll be right back there. You'll see the Hangar Bay straight in, in front of you. And I've seen the pictures, and I've seen the things that are going on. It looks really cool. There's a Chewbacca meet-and-greet and a Darth Vader meet-and-greet that will be there every day. Uh, so that'll be really interesting to see how that kind of plays out. There's movie, movie memorabilia on display. There's some interactive experiences. They do have some Jawas that wander around and some other characters that some sometimes free roam through there. So you'll get to see some of them in the uh, hangar bay. And I think that's kind of neat. It's kind of a clever way to introduce the idea of Star Wars to Hollywood Studios for now while they're getting ready for all of the other stuff that they're going to be building. So that reminds me that as you look around, you realize that the Legends of the Force, this whole new experience they're going to have coming, is starting in January. And I think if the official start date is like January 4th or 5th, they'll be starting the Legends of the Force. It will have some additional activities that were similar to what Star Wars Weekend used to do. So they'll have some parade activities, I think. They'll have a special fireworks show. They'll have talks about the new Star Wars movies. They'll have some other exhibits, maybe some character meet and greets. And of course, the Jedi Training Academy. Now, the Jedi Training Academy at the old location next to Star Tours has closed. It's closed until they reopen it wherever they're going to open it exactly. It may be in the same location, I'm not sure, but they're doing some different things. They'll have different characters and different uh, sort of ideas that they'll be doing. And they'll have it running throughout the day, so they'll have more throughput, more people that can come in and enjoy it, and more kids that can participate in it. The way they were doing it originally was they'd have maybe three shows a day, during Star Wars weekend, and they would have the kids uh, participate in that. Then it became every day, and they had one or two shows, then they moved it to five shows. Now they just want to have it running throughout the day, going through a cycle and just continuing to move along. So I think that's kind of cool. That's another thing that's going to be happening in January, that you'll start to see that pop up as, as well. Now I did notice that over in Disneyland, Space Mountain became Hyperspace Mountain, which I can't quite understand. I think, you know, the concept of Star Wars maybe goes a little bit far there, perhaps. It just feels like, you know, I know that they added in some other Star Wars-themed things to the queue and a few things into the attraction itself. I don't know how long until they actually get to uh, Space Mountain at Disney World, but I gotta imagine it's coming there, too, at some point. They also opened something similar to the uh, Landing Bay, uh, over at uh, Disneyland. So there's something similar over there where we've got some different activities happening where they have some uh, kind of clever things that are themed to uh, Star Wars and kind of the similar types of things where they have some movie memorabilia and they have uh, Chewbacca and, and Darth Vader that you can meet. So very similar there. Now on the other side, back over on Hollywood Studios in Florida, when you look around, you realize, you know, there's a lot of things that are going to be happening. And one of the things that's happening is the scope and size of the Star Wars theme land is bigger than I thought it was. 
when I originally started thinking about what they talked about and looked, you know, doing the size about how many acres they were doing and what they were doing, I kind of mapped it out and I had an idea what they were going to do. It actually turns out it's going to be much bigger than that. It looks like from the new maps they've shown that the entirety of New York Street and San Francisco and the other streets there, the streets of America that they have in the middle part of the park, so pretty much everything from like where the uh, giant dinosaur is, where Gertie is in the middle of the park, all the way over to where the uh, Indiana Jones Epic Stunt Spectacular, all the way back to the Star Wars-themed land that they have now, going further back and all the way over, pushing over all the way to where the uh, Muppet Vision Theater is, everything will be Star Wars land. And it'll also push out behind that area into where there's currently some parking lots, a little bit of uh, environmental land, and some other things. So Disney is going to do some mitigation. That's basically buying some other land that they're going to turn into the wetlands that they'll restore and, and make them uh, natural habitats. And they'll take over some of that land behind where the uh, Hollywood Studios is and that part of it. So that means that the Streets of America, the Indiana Jones Epic Stunt Spectacular, all of the little uh, shops and restaurants that kind of go up in that area, and everything back all the way to where the Honey, I Shrunk the Audience area is, will all be turned into uh, Star Wars land. Now, that means, of course, that New York Street is gone. And that's why it makes sense for them to end the Osborne Spectacle of Lights this year. So, if you listen back to a previous podcast, and I'll put a link to it in my show notes page, you'll understand how Disney acquired the uh, Osborne Spectacle of Lights. And the family was very effusive in their praise that Disney took it on for as long as they did. They had it for 20 years. Disney presented this light show every night for 20 years over the course of the holiday season. They'd put it up right after Thanksgiving. It comes down right after the new year. And they had it up there, and it was originally back on the back lot. They used to have some houses there that were used as facades, and they had it on there first and some of the land around it. Then they moved it up New York Street. Now that they're planning on doing away with New York Street, it makes sense to stop doing the lights. And I think Disney realized that at some point they had to kind of change a little bit anyway. They were they were basically licensing the lights or displaying them for the Jennings family. I'm not exactly sure how the relationship worked there, but they were really effusive in their praise that Disney allowed it for as long as they did. Now, Disney may come back and do something else in the future. I don't know. But if you think about all the land they have and the properties they have, there really isn't a place to display these millions of lights in the way that they're doing now and to do them justice and to do them properly and have enough room for people to move through. If you don't do them inside a theme park, let's say you put them at Disney Springs, people would come from miles around just to come and see them, and you would never be able to control traffic. So you really have to have them in an area that's kind of away from general public view. Maybe you need a you know, special ticket to be able to get in or something, just to be able to control the crowds, because otherwise it would get out of control, which is what happened with the family originally, and why Disney acquired them, because it just created so much of a traffic headache that it was really a problem. Now, people do love to see them. Heck, I love to see them. I was trying to figure out if there was a possibility of me getting up there to actually go and see the Osborne lights again because I really love them that much, and I wanted to get up them up there sometime just to be able to see them. I don't think I'm going to be able to work it out before they come down. I'm still trying to see if I can figure it out, but obviously if I didn't have time to do this podcast, how am I going to have time to drive up and see the lights and do some other things around the parks for a couple of days? I don't know that I am going to be able to, but I'm going to certainly try. I'm going to keep trying until they come down, and then I'll feel sad that I didn't make it just because that's the way things work sometimes. Now, the, um, the other news that comes about as the part of this whole Star Wars-themed land coming around is the fact that it's 
sadly going to be the end of Star Wars Weekend. Last year, Star Wars Weekend was the last official one that they're having. They announced about a few weeks ago, maybe three, four weeks ago, that there will be no no more Star Wars Weekends at uh, Disney's Hollywood Studios. Now, it doesn't mean that it's necessarily the end of the Star Wars theming. It just means that the specific weekends that they had for five weekends between May and June, where they went on Friday, Saturday, and Sunday and did Star Wars theme things in Disney's Hollywood Studios, they're just stopping that on the five weekends. So with the addition of all of these other things that they're doing, all of these new things that they're adding, making sure that they have the Legends of the Force and having the Hangar Bay and doing some other things, between now and when Star Wars Land opens... It seems like they're pretty well positioned to keep doing Star Wars-themed things all the way along. Now, does that mean that uh, they won't do other character meet-and-greets? I don't know. Does it mean that the 501st has no place at the parks? I really don't know. And that in its, and its affiliate organizations, I really don't know. It just means that for now, they're not doing some of the things that they, that they were doing. Now, it grew really big, and it drew a lot of people, and they had a lot of celebrities coming in. But I'm sure it was expensive to, for Disney to maintain and to keep everything going. So I imagine that in some ways they're kind of glad to stop doing it, at least at that level. Now again, it doesn't mean that they won't have other things that happen once they get the Star Wars theme land going. It also doesn't mean that they won't do some other things in between now and then to kind of capture the magic just a little bit. They have some inten- they have announced some intentions to do some very specific Star Wars-themed things between now and whenever this this new uh, land opens. So you'll see those come up on the calendar from time to time, and they may last for a month or be an experience for a few weeks or whatever. I think it's going to be limited time magic, sort of that theming, where they come up with something and they do it for a little while, then they move away and they do something else. But that way they'll still be doing some Star Wars-themed things that are similar to what they were doing with Star Wars Weekends. Now, I'm glad that I got to take both of my boys to it. Now, my older son was a little bit upset that he didn't get to go to the last one. He's like, that was the last one because he was hoping to get to go this year. So I'm going to see what activities they have going on, and I'll report back on anything that I hear about that sounds like it'll be fun because I'd really like to take him to another Star Wars-themed thing. I want him to be able to experience it in the same way. So we'll see how it works out. So that's kind of the way Star Wars land is shaping up. It becomes this much bigger thing. It's this larger-than-life principle. You know, you think about it. They could do so much. Disney has so many great ideas. And they could really make this immersive and wonderful experience. Now, each one of the parks will have some form of Star Wars land in it. And I believe that each one will represent a different Star Wars vista. So some may be from the new movies, some may be from the older movies or a portion of the older movies. Some of them may have uh, some mixed uh, bag in there in some way. I know they want to focus more on the future movies rather than the past ones, but I don't think they can leave it out completely. You know, it's sort of that canon thing, right? You've already got this stuff. Why would you want to go away from it? On the bright side, Disney owns all of these properties, so they can do whatever they want with them. They can do some really amazing things, and I think that's really cool that they can do that. Oh, one more thing about the... uh, Star Tours. They did add one additional ride sequence into it, so now instead of all the usual ride sequences, they added one that's got the new movie in it. So there's a sequence you can get if you ride the Star Tours where it could be some scenes from the new movie. Kind of cool. So kind of look forward to that if you uh, make it over to Star Tours anytime in the near future. Now, on a couple of other topics, a couple of other things that happened, there was a, uh, a man who climbed up the Mexico Pavilion. Now, 
I've walked by it many times in my life, and I thought to myself, wow, those look like stairs. It'd be kind of fun to climb those. So apparently sometime during Epcot's Food and Wine Festival, there was a group of people who came by, and they were, uh, they had been out drinking, no telling how much they were drinking, and one of them said, I'm going to climb that. And he actually jumped over a fence and climbed all the way to the top. Now Disney security came over, and he scrambled down, and he went backstage. And the Disney said, oh, we didn't catch him. He got away. Now, if you believe that for even one second, you're crazy. The reality is that Disney has so many backstage areas that they can cordon off and they can capture, catch someone just because they're back there. I don't believe for a second that they didn't catch this guy. And they'll keep it quiet. They'll never tell you that they caught him. I'm sure they gave him a trespass warning. They may have even, uh, may have even had him arrested. I don't know. But uh, now you can see signs that say no climbing up on the, uh, up on the stage there. And I think they installed some new video surveillance so they can see anybody that's there. Now, his friend was standing right there, and she decided she didn't want to climb, and she was interviewed by other people, so they know exactly who she is, so really, no surprises there. Um, you know, I, it's just kind of funny the way it's kind of like, oh, he got away, and everybody seems to think that. It just feels like maybe he did, but of course, he didn't. That's, that's the whole thing. Let's see. So, oh, there was a um, there was a minor monorail accident the other day. This has happened a few times in the past. So basically, what happens is they have these uh, tow tractors that they bring out to uh, be able to get the monorail. Should it get stopped, they bring the tow tractors out and they can actually give them give them a tug back to the uh, roundhouse. And it's a way that they can independently move them without having to have the uh, electric on the monorail running. So in some cases, when they actually uh, need to, uh, to move the monorail, maybe there's a power outage or the monorail fails for some reason, they can bring these diesel tractors out and they actually just pull them along and they get them back to where they want to go. They also use these uh, tractors to do videos. When they want to get a video of the monorail in a certain position or they want to get it you know, like a front view as it's running along or a back view or whatever, they run along with it with the tractor. Well, apparently, and this is, again, this has happened before, the tractor and the monorail collided. Oops. No one was hurt. No one was on the monorail at the time. It was uh, all particularly safe, but it did cause some damage to the monorail. They had to shut down the line for some period of time, and, you know, now they have to repair another monorail. They don't love to do that because it gets expensive to keep repairing monorails, but it does happen from time to time, and you'll see... Uh, you'll see that they'll have more safety measures in place as they continue to do this. I think part of what they're learning, too, is how to better be prepared for emergencies and safety and things like that. And so I think in the long run, it probably, you know, isn't a bad thing since no one was hurt. Little damage to the monorail itself. I think uh, they were able to use the tractor to just tow it back to the uh, roundhouse anyway. It all worked out. Now, of course, uh, one sad thing to report is after the uh, Paris attacks a few weeks ago, Disneyland Paris closed for a few days. It's unusual to see the parks close. They closed after 9-11 for a few days uh, here in the U.S. Uh, there have been other incidents where, particularly due to uh, extreme weather, there have been park closures. But typically, the parks don't close. So when you hear about Disneyland Paris closing and having to put more armed guards at the entrances and, and so forth, just kind of sad. It's, it's just a sad state of affairs that, that that had to happen that way. Totally understandable, and uh, we feel for the people of Paris and Disneyland Paris and so forth, but just an interesting turn of events because you don't usually hear about the parks being closed like that. But I can't leave you on a bad note like that. I just can't. I wanted to say something sad about it, but uh, didn't, you know, don't want to uh, go on and, and harp on that and leave it on a bad note. You know, as I think about what, uh, what's coming in the future, you know, all the great things that are happening. Disney has got some really good ideas. These immersive things are really kind of amazing. And you think about upping the ante and all the things that are happening. I talked about how Disney is upping the ante. They're creating Star Wars land and they're doing more things and they've got more things happening. 
Well, it turns out that sometime in the last week or so, Universal Studios announced that they have acquired some additional land because they want to grow, too. They want to be a bigger competitor to Disney, and they want to do more. Everybody's upping their game. We started a whole new trend of building something more and continuing to, to raise, the, raise the bar. The notch keeps going up. It keeps, it keeps increasing. We keep getting more and more and more things, and stuff keeps happening. And I think it's really exciting. Universal has announced nothing about what they want to do with the land, only that they've acquired it. Now, what are they going to do with it? It's not next to, it's not necessarily adjacent to the land they already have. It's kind of across the highway, so it's kind of interesting. It's, what, the, what are they going to do? I'm not sure. And how are they going to get people there, and what are they going to use the land for? It's kind of interesting and a little intriguing. And how will Disney respond? What will Disney do next to kind of up their ante? You think about all the things that Disney has under construction right now. They're starting to build the Westward Expansion, where they're building some new hotels and themes over there. You've got the Animal Kingdom that has the Avatar Land that's being built and the Rivers of Light that are coming. You have the Hollywood Studios that's going to have the Star Wars theme land, followed closely by the Toy Story theme land. You've got the Magic Kingdom that currently is not undergoing any transitions, but probably will in the not-too-distant future. And then you've got uh, Epcot that continues to evolve and continues to think about things. Now, what they're going to do there, I mean, obviously with the uh, addition of Arendelle to the Norway Pavilion and the Frozen-themed ride, you've got something happening there. There's, you know, at least one thing that's going on. So there's things happening. And then you look across at Disneyland, and, you know, I think most people are kind of shaking their heads a little bit and going, why is Disneyland doing this? They're taking part of the hallowed ground that Walt built and creating Star Wars land that's changing some of what the original concept was. And it's kind of sad in a to a large degree. I could understand it at the California Adventure. I could understand it if they built it off the back or something, if they acquired more land and built it back there. But to build it actually over something that Walt had his hands in just feels almost sacrilegious in a way. And I get that. I understand it when people talk about it. It really does kind of feel like that to a large degree. It's not quite right. It's like somebody did something that's almost uh, against, uh, you know, against everything that's righteous in this world. It's kind of funny, but, uh, you know, it's really kind of interesting because Disney is trying to up its game and change the way it's perceived. People can go to Disneyland on a regular basis. They can see it. Yeah, that's great, but it needs, it, it needs something more to really draw people in, and that's why the ticket prices went up, and that's why other things happened. Now, on the other side, there is a rumor floating around, and I stress that it's strictly rumor at this point, that... Disney may adjust its ticket prices again or have more offerings for different levels of tickets to entice people to go in and actually purchase some of the tickets that, they, that they're going to have available. What they realized was when they put out the new uh, price points uh, back in, I guess that was October, and they said, hey, well, here's our new price points for tickets, people kind of balked at that. Disney is very sensitive to the way people react. And there were a lot of people who said they wouldn't renew, and then they didn't have a lot of renewals that would have normally happened in that cycle. And so Disney is kind of rethinking it slightly. Now, whether they have new offerings or new price points, I'm not sure. But come January, I wouldn't be surprised to see if they start offering some new price points on tickets. We'll see. But I think it's really kind of interesting. Disney is very sensitive to these things. And good for them. They should be sensitive to what their guests think. Yes, you want to offer more, and yes, you want to offer more premium experiences, and yes, you want to add on to it, but you still need to get people to come there. And if, you, if the price goes too high, there's a sensitivity there, and people will stop coming. So you need to be very careful about that. So there you go. Well, that is my podcast for this week. I hope you've enjoyed it. And remember, if we can dream it, we can certainly do it.
Thank you for tuning in to the Disney View podcast. We hope you had a pleasant stay and arrive home safely. Please remain seated until your ride vehicle stops completely. Then, gather your personal belongings and step out onto the moving platform. And yes, I know it went by so quickly, but don't worry. One of the nice things about traveling on this podcast is that the journey is just beginning. Show notes are available on DisneyWorldPodcast.net. While there, please check out some of our affiliates. You'll also find links to Dave's iPhone and iPad apps. There's an app for pin trading, one for finding hidden Mickeys, and an app for finding and tracking pressed pennies around the Walt Disney World Resort. And you never know just what Dave is working on next. If you have questions, feel free to drop Dave an email at davesdisneyview at gmail.com. Original music you're hearing in this podcast is Oslo Doom by Gilberto Gil. Of course, this is a fan podcast and in no way affiliated with the Walt Disney Company. 